funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. We deserve this win, man. Fox Sports 5 flying high in Motown. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like that's that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. And today, with all the Ben Simmons talk going on, I thought it was a great time to bring on a Sixers cover, and nobody does it better than Jackson Frank. Covers the NBA in general for Dime Up Rocks, um, has a Sixers podcast for Blue Wire as well here, Liberty Ballers, whole lot of places that his basketball footprint is felt. And I'm sure most listeners here already know Jackson, but Jackson, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time and giving your insight on Simmons, man. Yeah, happy to do so. Uh, obviously, Sacramento is one of the places that has been linked to him the last few months. So happy to provide any, any insights that I can. One of like, there's probably one of every three teams in the league feels like at this point it's been linked to Simmons. But yeah, Sacramento has been linked a lot. Um, and I just want to start before we get into these rumors and potential trades and things like this. I think that the fan base could use a better understanding of Simmons. And I, I could too, you know, you, I'm sure obviously you've watched a whole lot more Philadelphia than probably any of the listeners and obviously myself. Um, And let's just start with the defensive end, you know, obviously second in defensive player of the year voting last year and on ball is where he really stood out to me. Um, Can you just speak to his versatility in guarding on ball? Yeah. So he often gets the one through five level, which I think is inaccurate, but he is, I think probably the most versatile and effective perimeter defender in the NBA these days. He's, I would say he can pretty comfortably guard one and a half through four and a half. Um, centers still give him issues because of his lack of rim protection. And just, yeah, I think his wingspan is about seven feet, which is good, but uh, it's not really what you want for a center. And then the quicker guards, like I remember when the Kings and, and Sixers played back in Sacramento, um, he had some troubles with Aaron Fox, who's, you know, arguably or inarguably the fastest, you know, uh, very good guard in the NBA. Um, but everyone else is really within his wheelhouse. He's really improved in physicality the last couple of years, um, kind of dating back to the 2019 playoffs against uh, D'Angelo Russell in the first round, and then Kawhi Leonard in the second round really took a step forward with kind of his physicality on the ball. Um, has improved his screen navigation over the last year and a half or so, I would say. Even when he, his first, you know, back 2019-20, uh, when he really kind of did take that, he took that lead defensively, he still struggled with navigating screens, but he's a lot better now there. Um, just moves so well laterally, has great hands, um, is a pretty good rebounder for his size too, which, which helps. I mean, just, you know, ending plays, if he's going to force a guy into a tough shot or a place they don't want to be, um, that's a nice thing to have, but just incredibly fluid and quick and strong laterally, um, at that size, the ability to cover ground so efficiently is, is really useful. Um, there really aren't many guys that he can't guard. Um, obviously the Sixers in, in himself had their, their pronounced offensive issues in the second round against the Hawks, but he was quite good, you know, containing Trae Young at times. Um, I know Trae Young had gaudy stats and he was still pretty good in that series, but he was not as good, I think, as he may have been in the first round and, and whatnot. So um, just someone you can really rely on to guard the opposing team's best player, you know, assuming they aren't a center uh, and assuming they aren't, I mean, De'Aaron Fox and like maybe he's had some issues with Spencer, Spencer Dinwiddie in the past, but Basically, every star is within his wheelhouse. The amount of guys he guarded last year was just ridiculous. I mean, over a month span, he'd probably guard eight different all-stars and, and give them issues. So uh, he really is a special perimeter defender. Um, he you know, he and Joel have their issues offensively in terms of fit, but defensively, they are incredible together. Um, so he, I mean, he is deserving of pretty much every uh, laudatory you know, label he gets. Um, but I would say one through five is, is kind of the biggest one that I think you have to pump the brakes on because that's just not who he is. He's not not a rim protector. Um, he's improved off the ball. 
Um, he can really do some interesting things as kind of the low man there around the either the corner or the the block or the post as a rotator. Um, but you really want him on the ball as much as possible against kind of those one and a half to four and a half. So even I would say ones, just maybe a select few aren't you know, ideal for him. Yeah, I love the one and a half to four and a half. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, yeah, it felt like to me in the Atlanta series, or I'm sorry, in the Washington series, it was almost like, you know, he was either covering one of Beal or Westbrook and the other one seemed to be assigned to Danny Green. And it felt like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, they were just attacking whichever one was on Danny Green. And Simmons was kind of switching on to whichever guy was hotter at the time. Um, and I know you touched on his off-ball defense a little bit, but I've seen some Kings fans a little bit concerned with, um, I, I've seen some people throw out that, you know, he's not fully engaged there. Maybe he ball watches here and there, but does that just feel like nitpicking to you? Yeah, I would say so. I would say the, the bigger issue, if you're going to actually harp on deficiencies, would be the fact that he can't really play. He's never really shown the ability to play the small ball five. Like, I, I think the role would be nice for him in spurts. Like, I don't think it's – he's not Giannis in the sense that you want him, like, maybe optimized there for 38 minutes a game. But I think ideally you would be able to run him out there for, you know, five to eight minutes. And he's just never really shown an ability to play drop coverage effectively or protect the rim. Some of that is just physical limitations. It's really hard to protect the rim when you're only – when you only have a seven-foot wingspan. It seems weird to say that. But um, but obviously like, you need a pretty long wingspan to alter shots around the rim. But, yeah, I think, like – I think earlier in his career, it was a more valid concern because the the on the ball defense wasn't as effective. Like I think his second year, especially, he was okay in the regular season for his standards. He was still good defensively on the ball, but um, it was really kind of compounded by meandering around screens, you know, failing to make rotations in a timely manner. But yeah, I would say if you're really looking for an, an issue with him defensively, it wouldn't be any any sort of kind of inconsistent off ball motor. It'd be more about the idea that you would love to play him at the small ball five in, in spurts uh, as a backup, but it's just never something he's really shown the ability to do. Granted, he hasn't had extended run at it uh, in his career. It's always kind of been a in, in case of emergency or a, a different wrinkle, but that would be my bigger qualm with him defensively beyond anything off the ball. Yeah, it makes sense. Kings are used to uh, what an undersized center means with Rashawn Holmes sitting there for a while, last couple of years now at this point. Uh, yeah, la not last year, year before Simmons led the league in steals, always been up there in steals when it comes to playmaking on that end, but never a big block guy. I, I never viewed him as a big like rim deterrent um, or a rim protector quite, although there is the potential there for the reasons that you just mentioned. And then when it comes to the offensive end, you know, I, I mean, he's very efficient and obviously there's the shooting concerns, but he's a great passer and finisher. Um, how do you how would you describe how Philadelphia had been primarily using him. Am I accurate in saying like a, a role man, a guy leading the break and, and kind of in the dunker spot in the half court? I would say that's a that's a very accurate synopsis of how his role devolved in the in the playoffs against the Hawks. Um, but they they try they both coaches, you know, between Brett Brown and Doc Rivers, they've they've used him on the ball. Um, they'll try and run, you know, the occasional pick and roll, they'll try and run dribble handoffs where he flows and do the screen type things they've a lot of times this year, they ran kind of the snug pick and roll um, where they would, where Ben would dribble to one of the wings. Um, and then Joel would kind of set a screen kind of in the middle of the inside the arc, not quite in the paint, sometimes in the paint um, things like that. But yeah, toward the end of the year, it was, you know, pushing the break, um, you know, trying to get those early offense dribble handoffs, especially with Seth Curry this past year, they did some of it with JJ Redick uh, when he was there for a couple of seasons um, but yeah, in the half court, he was a guy who played in the dunker spot a lot. And that happened at times um, in the regular season as well. But they would also try to, you know, there was that game, I think it was game three, third quarter against the Hawks, um, when they ran him a bunch through the post um, and Joel spaced out a lot and he had some success there. So um, I think I really do think like if you're looking for the ways for him to remain viable offensively in the half court against you know, higher level opponents, uh, it's really kind of expanding his post game and, you know, refining his hand a little bit, trusting it, improving the physicality um, as an attacker, because the fact of the matter is he moves better than the majority of people, his size, and is pretty strong. Like he should be able to create more in the half court despite the lack of a jumper. But um, the role man thing has always been a little more ideal than reality. Um, it's, it's looked good when it works. Um, when he sets a hard screen, makes contact, creates an advantage or separation and, and rolls hard to the rim and that guard or whoever it is can make the pocket pass or the pass over the top. Um, he looks pretty good, but a lot of times he will fail to make contact or the role won't be very precise or focused. So um, 
there's just a lot, there's a lot that kind of that would ideally be low hanging fruit that just hasn't come to fruition through, through four seasons, you know, or four healthy seasons, you know, he's been in the league now for five. Um, but that's, that's kind of the role for him, the transition spark plug. And he's quite good in that role. Um, you know, basically the majority of his best passes come, you know, in transition. Um, but yeah, you're looking at a guy who should work pretty well in, in the half court, which just hasn't because a lot of his own um, limitations or stagnation offensively. Yeah. And that lack of growth, I think is the most understandable concern I've seen with Simmons. Um, you know, I think that obviously a lot of his concerns were magnified because of a poor fit with Embiid and uh, rough last couple games, even in the playoffs, even though I would say, I mean, I, I think it's a little overblown people saying he had a horrible playoffs. I thought he was pretty good round one and, and fine for most of the Atlanta series. And obviously, you know, the, the one play that stands out. Um, but you mentioned, you know, the lack of growth. And that's something I want to touch on. Where do you feel like he has shown progress? You know, obviously, like, Coming out of LSU, he wasn't regarded as a high defender. He didn't have the effort levels at LSU, um, but it became pretty apparent quickly in the league that he was going to be a good defender. But And there's been progress in that way, I would say. But um, specifically, what aspects of his game do you feel like have notably improved in the years that he's been in the league? Yeah, I think most of it's going to focus defensively. I mentioned a little bit earlier, but um, the physicality has improved defensively. Like He still really has to make strides there offensively, but the degree to which he leverages that strength at his, at his size is very impressive defensively. Um, like I mentioned, the screen navigation has gotten a lot better. I think he's better. He better understands how to kind of prepare for those rather than just, Oh, the screen's here. Now what do I do? I think he's better at kind of, you know, depending on what the coverage is um, like the Sixers would ice a lot of screens last year, which just means that you're forcing the ball handler away from them. Um, and so he was very good at that with his size, getting, you know, that top foot at the proper angle, um, but even if he had to fight over screen, I think he's done better to kind of skinny himself up. Um, obviously, it's a little harder when you're that size to fight over screens. Um, I know Giannis has talked about that. I know he's, he's bigger than Ben, but um, similar idea there. When you're that large trying to fight around a screen, it can be a little tougher. Um, but he's really improved there. Um, the off-ball motor, I think it was better this year. Um, I'd have to think back a little bit more to the previous couple seasons, but um, I definitely think it was better at least marginally so from a couple of seasons ago when you know when he was playing with Jimmy um and both both of them were uh kind of in solidarity with not being super attentive off the ball in the regular season um but those would be the biggest things I think the physicality like I don't think his rookie year he could have handled that four and a half designation I think he would have been more kind of a, a hard cap at four um but he's had some play like I think a couple of years ago he had some plays against Cat in the post um you know obviously Cat is someone who has had some kind of, I don't know, viral struggles in the post. He remains a very good post player, but uh, I don't think that's something he could have done, um, you know, his rookie season. So those would be the biggest areas. And then I think he has expanded his repertoire a little bit in the post, but I don't think it's gotten to a point where you can really reliably, you know, rely on it. Really, re- really reliably rely on it. My goodness. Um, it's not something you really want to use as a source of offense late in games and the playoffs and things like that. But I think he has gotten a little better with his footwork and maybe one or two moves. Um, we had a nice kind of like sweeping hook shot at times this season or last season, I should say. Um, but those would be the biggest areas. But they're, you know, they're largely overshadowed by um, teams better figuring out how to you know, combat his game offensively as a scorer and, you know, half court creator. Yeah, it does. You know, obviously the the player that Ben Simmons is right now is a damn good player. And I, I think that he's a little underrated because of these past things. But 25 years old, three-time All-Star, All-NBA, um, two times All-Defensive. Like I said, second in defensive player of the year voting last year. Um, what he is right now is a damn good player. But I think people are expecting more growth or at least hoping for more growth. Are, are you at a point with the growth that he's shown where – you know, you have some concerns that, you know, this could just be where Simmons is at. Yeah, I think, I think that is fair. Um, I think if you're looking for the optimistic lens, it would be that maybe he has never quite meshed with, you know, Philadelphia's development system. I know they've had two different, you know, contexts now between, you know, the doc led, you know, the doc led team, and even you can go like kind of, you know, Colangelo was the head guy and then Elton Brand and now Daryl Morey. So I think there's been enough context to maybe not be super optimistic, optimistic about that. But if you're looking for any sort of reason to, to project some offensive growth or at least do a meaningful 
degree that that would be it that just maybe Philadelphia is not the place for him, um, which I think is a, a, you know, I think that's clearly what he's you know relayed based on Keith Pompey's report of a couple of days ago. Um, but maybe that's something that's kind of always resonated under the surface to an extent. And um, some guys just fare better developmentally in other places than in other places. So um, that would be the optimistic lens, but I do feel fairly pessimistic. I mean, he's only 25, but at the same time, 25 is generally kind of where you start to see a guy's prime manifest. And he's only been 25 for like six weeks, but um, you know, it, it's tough to say that I think Ben Simmons at 28 years old, Um, by and large, looks to be a very similar player offensively, despite clear reasons to improve his game offensively. Um, you go back to his rookie year when he struggled in the second round against the, the Celtics. His second year when he wasn't great as an off-ball player when when Jimmy kind of took over that lead creator role from the perimeter. Um, and now this year. So yet to be seen how he responds this year, but it's tough to be optimistic that this is going to be some huge inflection point because there's been ample time for him to, to really improve and, and better mesh offensively with Joel. Totally. And the final point I want to touch on, everybody's talked about the three-point shooting enough. I'm going to talk about the free throw shooting. Um, you know, 61% from the line last year, and there's been like minimal improvement. He's, he's hovered around that same range in the four years he's been in the league. But is there concerns, you know, where it's a fourth quarter situation and he becomes borderline unplayable or you're really skeptical to throw him out there because of that shooting? That's that's the one area to me where it's like that needs to be growth. And similarly with Fox and a handful of players in the league and you know, I mean, Simmons is an outlier case, but it, it feels like if there's one skill you're going to bet on um, NBA teams working with players and allowing some growth, it's been shooting, whether it be from any spot on the court or the free throw line. Um, so this is where, to me, if there needs to be growth in one aspect, to me, it's free throw shooting. And is it at a point right now where you're skeptical to throw them out there in the fourth quarter sometimes? Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is that in game six in Atlanta, they took him out of the game in the fourth quarter and played a 20-year-old non-lottery rookie. Um, one, because Maxi was was playing, was more useful to the offense, and two, because they were just going to play hack a Ben, and Ben shot 34% from the free throw line. Um, obviously, as someone who highly values numbers, I'm inclined to believe this is a small sample. Um, I don't think he's going to be that bad for the rest of his career, but um, you know, from the play, from the playoffs or from the line in general, but um, that was a serious thing. Like the, the situation you described played out, and they had and the Sixers had to go to an alternative uh, player. Um, and even two years ago, he was at fifty eight percent, which is much more aligned with his you know, career numbers. But yeah, I I don't I don't know. Like I I, I don't, because I think a lot. I mean, he's he's mentioned that it's a mental thing, um, but that's something that I largely want to leave up to him. Yeah, I don't want to put any words in his mouth or project any sort of things. I don't feel comfortable with the mental side of things, discussing players in that sense. Um, but, but I think, you know, to your point, like you've seen it play out, the situation you described. So it's absolutely something you have to at least account for. Um, I don't know how to rectify it necessarily. Um, I, it is weird because, you know, there was a point in the year, I'm trying to find it precisely um, where he was at about 67% from the line. Um, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's, that's like pretty good. Like, right. Like you can not great, but if you're scoring 1.34 points, um, at one point is at 67.8. So if you're scoring about 1.36 points per possession, every time he gets to the foul line, like, yeah, it's not great relative to the majority of guys who get there a lot, but, uh, in all, in offense in general, like if you're scoring 136 points per possession or per, per 100 possessions, you're pretty good. So I don't know what happened there. Maybe it was just a small sample. But like, I do think there is some sort of rhythm and flow that he found mid- midway through the last season that he really got in a groove and in a rhythm um, that he just that just kind of deteriorated by the end of the year. But um, I think if you're going to trade for him, that's something that I would, I would be going back and watching those clips and seeing kind of what can I pinpoint to get that level of free throw shooter out of Ben Simmons, which isn't great relative to other free throw shooters, but is absolutely a, a fine outcome of Ben's going to line five to eight times a game like we feel we feel okay with kind of that, that method of offense. Absolutely. And, you know, part of me wonders like if, if I was in Ben's shoes, cause you know, as you said, it's, it's hard to speak on somebody else's mental situation, impossible to speak on somebody else's mental situation. But I'll say if I was in his shoes, I think it would be hard to not feel pressured by this, mm-hmm. by all the media going on and everything um, with that. And part of me wonders, 
you know, Philly is known to be a very tough market when it comes to media and the fan base. And Sacramento is like on the opposite. If if there were, I think Ben Simmons would be just absolutely adored in Sacramento. Um, and, and part of me wonders, you know, if that would have an impact in any sort of way. Um, but when it comes to this, the criticism that he did receive at the end of the playoffs last year, it kind of felt like to me there was talks for the last couple of years now that the Simmons and Bede pairing was questionable. And obviously Embiid being the greater talent, um, a, a lot of it came back to Simmons of, you know, are they going to have to eventually move Simmons? So did it kind of feel like this was just all a breaking point and maybe this was going to happen at any point? Was it, I guess my question is, is it more that Simmons wasn't good enough or he wasn't a good enough fit with Embiid? I, I think, I think it's largely more, he just wasn't good enough. Um, the fit's never been great offensively, but again, the fit is tremendous defensively. Like, you know, Trey Young is one of the best pick and roll creators in the NBA and, um, he and he and Joel or Ben and Joel had some real, had numerous possessions in that series where, where Trey was struggling to kind of find the right um, play to make. And some of that, that helps to have guys like Matisse Thibault and Danny, Danny Ray on the wings flanking, flanking to, uh, you know, about two DPOI finals at some point in their career. Um, Joel a little earlier, but obviously he's an incredible defender in his own right. But I think, I think he just wasn't good enough. Like, I mean, the, like if he, if he was just his normal all-star self, um, in in uh 2018 19 or 2020 2021 um they they make they they're they are two-time conference finalists in in their four years playing the playoffs together three years playing the playoffs together um yeah the fit's not great like you don't want to you wouldn't love to have a guy who loves to get downhill and attack from the perimeter and a guy who loves to play in the post as your cornerstones offensively but i think that could be mitigated by a better kind of lead ball handler whether it's a jimmy or you know now in the maybe the Beal or the Dame talks that have, that have maybe been those things that you know, ramp up. Obviously Ben would be involved in Beal and Dame talks, but I think it's more, he just wasn't good enough. Like I, I think that's, you know, the Sixers had their faults, but more than anything, it was just a lack of like ideal talent to win that series, which just seems reductive, but their second and third best players, Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris were not good enough. And um, you can say, yeah, maybe fit plays into that, but, um, the fit was good enough to win whatever 50, whatever 51 games or whatever in the regular season would be the one seed. So I think it was just Ben not playing up to the expectations he set for himself as, as an all-star level player. Right. Yeah. Uncharacteristically not good enough. You would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, sitting there at five years, 177 million has some high expectations, understandably. So, um, and now appears to obviously be on the market and the reporting is, is going uh, all over the place, left and right. You know, they've made it clear he has no plans to return to, to report to camp if he's not traded by then. Um, and then all the reporting from these other teams, I've seen San Antonio, Portland, Golden State, Sacramento, Toronto, Minnesota, Indiana, all been linked to Ben Simmons. And of course, everybody is saying that the, um, of course, Philly and Maury are asking for ridiculous prices, right? There was the reporting that Maury at the time of the draft or before asked for Wiggins, Wiseman, pick seven, 14, and two future firsts from the Warriors. And, you know, hard to see them getting anything close to that package. And then on the other side, you see um, there was a really good reporting from a handful of the athletic guys today that had some really interesting quotes in there. John Krasinski covers Minnesota. Uh, quote, they're not parting with Towns or Edwards and very much do not want to move Russell. Golden State um, uh, for from Anthony Slater, they have zero intention to do so in the coming weeks. And um, sorry, let me go back there. The Warriors are currently, aren't currently initiating any trade talks, offering their young players for veterans, Simmons or otherwise, and have zero intentions to do so in the coming weeks. Um, that's from Anthony Slater, and he said that Joe Lacobas said they don't want to trade Wiseman or Kuminga. Sam Amick is saying that the Kings are unwilling to include De'Aaron Fox and or Tyrese Halliburton in Apostle Simmons deal, for now at least, makes it a deal breaker. Heck, they're even trying to hold on to Harrison Barnes, from what I'm told. There's got to be a middle point somewhere here, right? Of course, this is the reporting that's going to happen. Um, I mean, I mean, if teams are just going to be holding out here, you know, if Maury's going to sit there and wait for Dame Lillard, he could be with. Excuse my dog. I've been there. It's okay. 
I swear she loves making noise when I'm recording. The squeaky my, toys my become her favorite thing just during the hour of the day. Yeah, my dog used to uh, used to do the same, but uh, luckily she doesn't anymore. So there's got to be a middle point with some of these deals, right? Um, do you see it as the do you, do you see it, it seems like we're moving towards Simmons possibly just being on Philadelphia's roster at the time of the camp. I mean, do you think that it's a situation where, you know, it, it, there's too much in the air for for that to still happen um or to you do you feel like, you know, there there's got to be something that happens and breaks here at some point? Yeah, I think I think something's going to happen. I mean, Shams before the before Keith Pompey's report, I think Shams had an article on Monday um, maybe not, maybe one of the article, he had some segment, I think on stadium within the last week where he said that things are kind of mellow. Now he reported that Minnesota was involved and I don't know if he reported in Sacramento, but he said that things should ramp up as kind of things, a, a pre- pressure is applied coming into the training camp. Um, and so we're about a month out from training camp four weeks is more accurate. Um, so I think something will get done. Um, Minnesota has been linked for so long. Sacramento's had some sort of interest for a while now as well. Um, I think these teams will find a middle ground, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it takes two or three weeks into the regular season either. Um, I would lean toward it happening before the regular season, just based on the, the Keith Pompey report as of late. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if that didn't necessarily, you know, signify that all of a sudden Ben, ben is out in the next five weeks um, with about six, eight, eight weeks or so, seven weeks until the season starts, um, or regular season starts. But um, I think they're going to find a middle ground. I think these teams have been negotiating for so long, and it seems like there's a fairly narrow scope of uh, suitors. And so I just think that something's going to happen. I don't know exactly what it'll be, um, but I think that t- talks have been ongoing for so long now that it seems like a middle ground will, will be struck sooner rather than later in the sense that, you know, it's not going to be December 12th and Ben has still not played an NBA game yet, uh, and they're still fielding calls and offers and negotiations. Right. So – what is the ideal skill set or certain set of skills if it's multiple players that you feel like Philadelphia is should be searching for? You know, obviously it's going to be different with each team and who's willing to offer what, but what sort of skill sets do you feel like are ideally coming back? Yeah, so I think you you clearly want to prioritize the offensive side of the ball. Um, you saw how good Philadelphia's defense was in the regular season and the playoffs, even against the Hawks. It was the offense that was very much the downfall. Um, and so with that, I think you want smart off-ball decision makers, quick decision makers. Um, you're not going to find a guy, I think, at this point uh, who kind of reshapes the offensive hierarchy in terms of you know Joel as a smaller workload. But I think what you want alongside Joel is because he commands so, so much attention, a guy who can space the floor well and also make smart decision off of that um the guy they wanted that to be or one of the guys they wanted that to be last year um was george hill someone who is that is danny green um you know tobias is a little more methodically based but that makes sense because he is the team's best half court shot creator from the perimeter um well i would say joel kind of expanded his game this year but one of those guys um and so he's a little different there um tyrese maxi is someone who i think had some use because he was so boom 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 go 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 uh, with the ball in his hands um, so I think those are the sort of things you want smart off-ball decision makers who can stretch the floor and aren't are on the entirely opposite spectrum from Ben Simmons offensively. Um, I think you can you have a lot more leeway because Joel is such a good defensive anchor when he's at his peak, which hasn't really been as much in the regular season, but you've seen them in the playoffs he can do um, you know, against the Wizards and the Hawks this past year, against the Raptors a couple of years ago, or I guess yeah, two years ago, really gave Pascal Siakam fits there. So that's what I'd be looking for is like you can sacrifice a lot of offense because you still have a defensive core right now of Joel, Matisse, and Danny, um, which is pretty dang good. And then you have a very good defensive coach in Dan Burke, uh, defensive assistant coach, as I should say. He's kind of the defensive coordinator, came from Indiana. So that's that's what I'd be looking for in a Ben package. Obviously, long term, you're trying to figure out a way to maintain enough flexibility and draft capital and young talent to, you know, uh, capitalize on a Dame, Dame Lillard, you know, trade request or Bradley Beal trade request, but uh, find offensive players who function well off the ball in smart and um, cohesive ways is what I'd be looking for in return for Ben to kind of maximize 
the Joel Embiid led offense, which is flawed, um, but it's kind of what you have to roll with at the moment. It's pretty agitating how perfect I feel like Tyrese Halliburton fits that description. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he does. Um, and and I, 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 I know that in the Amherst report it said that neither Fox nor Halliburton are I mean, available in those talks. I get Fox by all means. Like I think Fox and Simmons would be pretty fun. I know that there's a shooting uh, concerns, but a guy that can get downhill like Fox is not someone that you know Simmons really played with beyond uh jimmy butler for three quarters of a year and i mentioned the the areas that simmons needs to get better as an off-ball player but i'd like to see that but how and i i understand why they don't want to part with halliburton um talk about kind of the rate of improvement if you look at the last three years um or even four years when i go back to halliburton in high school versus year one at iowa state versus year two at iowa state versus year one in sacramento i totally get that but i think the sort of talent that simmons offers is something that sacramento's rarely had dating back to the early 2000s or mid 2000s. And so I would definitely pull the, I would, I wouldn't let him be the sticking point. Now it depends on, you know, it's Halliburton plus what then, then I get it. But I think outright saying that we won't trade Halliburton for Simmons is an oversight on Sacramento's part. Even if I get the rationale, I just strongly disagree with it, but there's a chance it comes back to that because Halliburton has gotten so much better for about a half a decade now, whereas Simmons hasn't. So um, that's kind of my stance on that report. I feel very strongly in it, but I absolutely understand the other side, even if I disagree with it. Yeah. Emotionally, I would not want to move on from Halliburton. I totally get it. I think that's where a lot of the fan base is at, but as you said, I mean, the talent upgrade is so clear to me. Um, and I don't know what the journey is to Sacramento getting another player, the caliber of Ben Simmons, you know, it's going to take a somewhat similar situation of a player asking out and, and just putting a lot of your chips on the table, but Let's let's try to keep Halliburton out of it for a second and see if there's a deal here. You know, the, the common package, right, is going to be Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley. Um, and do those two players, like, interest you at all? Because you're talking about specifically Buddy, right? Like, there's a lot of shooting there, obviously. Um, but you talked about decision-making. I It's pretty questionable for Buddy sometimes. I think if he's just, you know, put in, you know, basic reads where he already kind of knows what he's going to deal with, it's, one or uh, decision one a or or one or two and not having to read a defense and, and make advanced reads then he's totally fine um, but there's a little bit of some questionable decision making there and then the defensive concerns as well is buddy Hill the guy that you view as a optimal fit alongside Embiid uh offensively I get it if you're if you're constructing things through an Embiid led offense then then a lot of it makes sense a guy who was such a smart off-ball player um, in terms of just his movement and his quick trigger, um, his ability to hit shots from pretty wild angles um, makes sense. But um, Heald is like by no means the worst defender in the NBA, but uh, you're getting fairly close to like the entirely opposite end of the spectrum when it comes yeah. to corner defense versus Ben there. I just don't think that's an, like, I just don't think it's enough. Like, you know, Bagley is a guy who I think, you know, I still think there's an abs- there's absolutely an NBA player in there, but I, I don't know if the Sixers are the, the, ecosystem to get that out because they're already still trying to kind of balance Tyrese's development. Maybe a guy like Isaiah Joe cracks the rotation too. And Bagley is a guy who I think like, I don't know. I think like you can go a couple different action, different action. I think ideally you want a clear and defined role for him, but I just don't know if that clear and defined role is like good enough to crack the rotation. Like, I mean, Andre Drummond has his faults, but he's absolutely a better backup five than, than Marvin Bagley is. Um, at the four, I don't know if Bagley makes a ton of sense. And Niang is a pretty solid backup for as well, the guy they signed this offseason. So I just don't know. Like, it just feels like a developmental guy you get there. And I don't think they have, there's the playing time for that because Bagley makes sense as someone who, with a concrete role, that's four, that floor spacing five run, you know, can can catch lobs as well. So a lot off the ground. But I just don't think it makes sense there. So I think maybe a third team would have to get involved to bring another a pick or another high level role player. Um, to really entice Philly, I just don't think Heald and Bagley gets you anywhere close. Um, depending on the pick pick package, maybe then um, you know you're more willing to entertain that conversation. But um, those two guys off the jump really don't um, entice me from a from a Ben Simmons return uh, standpoint. Yeah, and absolutely a handful, yeah, at least two first rounders. I, I think would have to be on the table for that to even be a conversation. Is the way that I view it. There um, is is Harrison Barnes more intriguing than Buddy Heal to you? You know, I, I would assume yes, but to I've seen a lot of people throwing around like that just Philly really should value shooting and not like Barnes is a bad shooter or anything, but Buddy's kind of 
a little bit of a different planet in that regard, but Barnes fits more of the smart decision maker and capable defender. Yeah, I think, I think in some senses he does make sense. I would be curious to get your read on this because I think it's something that's evolved. Like what do you make of his kind of Barnes's decisiveness and decision-making in general? Because I think in Dallas, a lot of times he wasn't great in that regard, but it feels like he's gotten notably better in kind of being a quicker ball mover and flowing within the confines of an offense in a smaller on-ball role. Is that a fair assessment? I just want because I just think he's really kind of had differing ends of the spectrum in that regard in, in the past few years. Yeah, totally. I think actually last year that was the big development for Barnes, you know, um, that just being a quicker decision maker and understanding reads and optimizing his teammates. So, yeah, I would say specifically last year that was the big growth for Barnes. And so I, I would say that he does appeal to me more um, because I think he does have some – he does have a little more – kind of go get me a bucket than Buddy. Um, I know Buddy's improved as a ball handler and passer in a little bit in recent years, but I think, you know, that kind of that mid-post game for Barnes is something that could be pretty useful. Um, you have some pretty big uh, reductiveness if your three best shot creators are Harrison Barnes, uh, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris. You'd have run 75 mid-post touches each game, but um, I think there's just a little more, like I have a little more confidence in, 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 in Barnes kind of creating his own shot and healed and kind of the, in terms of the process of it and whatnot. But, um, and I also just think healed, you know, you know healed, maybe not, not even fit, but I think, sorry, I'm, I'm getting healed and Harrison mix up Barnes. I think is just a better player than buddy. Um, at least he was last year in my, in my opinion, you can obviously, you know, you would know more absolutely. than I would on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but so I think Barnes definitely makes more sense there. Barnes and healed, I think gets you closer. Um, that makes some sense, but, uh, the, the biggest issue is like Barnes and healed for Simmons, like isn't getting you closer to a title, which no one is, you know, for Simmons at this point, I've talked about it, but I just kind of wonder like, would, would these Sixers be more interested in going a draft pick heavy route to try and have those picks um, for when the next eventual star asks out, which will happen at some point. Like it's just the NBA moves quickly. There's always one or two of them in a, in a given like kind of league year cycle. Um, and so I wonder if that's would they, because like, that's just more entertaining, right? For if you're Portland or you're Washington, like you'd rather have a couple of picks, uh, than a buddy healed or Harrison Barnes or win now players that you'd have to reroute to kind of get more draft capital. So that's what makes all this challenging. I think. Totally. Yeah. And it's hard for me to find like a third team right now. So I think the situation that you talked about, like, it feels like there's a decent chance that, you know, they, they get the picks now and then are waiting for a situation at the deadline. Um, with with the additional assets that they do acquire from Ben. And before I we get like to a strict deal, I'm just curious your thoughts on on Davion Mitchell. You know, had an impressive summer league. Um, what were your thoughts on him at the time of the draft? And, and how do you feel about his potential fit in Philly? Yeah, um, so I truthfully, I didn't watch a ton of him in summer league. Um, so I don't have a great insight on that. But he's a guy that I was really interested in a couple years ago um, when Baylor first kind of made their rise to national powerhouse. Um, Really had to improve the jumper, um, but the on-ball defense was there. The ability to get downhill was there. There were some interesting passing flashes. Um, the decision-making had to improve, but um, obviously took pretty big steps forward in that regard. Uh, this past year, as he led, you know, helped lead Baylor to a, an incredible season and a national title. Um, I didn't do as much draft work this, this past year. I imagine he probably did more than me, but he wasn't a guy I would have probably ranked in my lottery just based. Like, I did some stuff. Um, I was pretty well-versed in the top four or five, and then I knew enough maybe through the lottery or maybe into the, the late teens. Um, but he's a guy that I, I generally, when I found myself discussing him and watching any sort of film on him, whether it was in season or, you know, uh, leading up to the draft struck me more as kind of a late first or early second guy, um, maybe into the teens if you really felt strongly about his shooting development. Um, but I think he makes some sense, you know, in, in the idea that he's a little more win now than uh, the traditional rookie, you know, he is 22 or 23, um, the on-ball defense is, is excellent already. Um, you, know, you, you have limitations as a, as a very good on-ball defender at that size, but um, it is very, very impressive. So um, guy, a guy that I probably wouldn't have taken it at eight or nine, or I think it was eight where the Kings took him. Nine. Yeah. Nine. Um, no way I would have either. <laughs> but uh, I think I, I get the idea of maybe if Philly being interested in him, but I, I think you'd be relying on a rookie um, on a team that has two, I mean, I guess they already did a little bit with Tyrese Maxey, but another rookie, I think you, uh, you know, or another young guard, I should say, who's actually older than Maxey, um, would be precarious to me. But 
Um, it just uh, generally speaking, it was cool to see a guy that kind of caught my eye years ago, or I guess over a year ago, really kind of blossom into someone who was, you know, legitimate, was literally just a lottery pick um, six weeks ago. So in that sense, it, it's very cool. But uh, yeah, I was lowering his his stock as a as a top 10 guy. And I, I don't think I think I, I don't think he makes a ton of sense for Philly because you kind of already have that in in Maxine. I think it's it's tough to expect another young, smaller guard who kind of you know, gets downhill and you know, makes it make it have as a non-ball defender really kind of fit in next to Maxi. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think kind of the swing with Davion is how real is this off the dribble shooting? And yeah, like you said, shooting in general, um, he, he's definitely got this, you know, hang dribble down, a great change of pace, but you can tell that he just seems a little bit more developed than some of the other guys out there during summer league specifically and, and some of his time in college as well. Um, but to get to a deal, talk to me about Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley, Davion Mitchell, and two first round picks, we'll say the 2022 and 2024. Yeah, I think, I think if you're going for two, two guys who you know probably still project as negative impact players in, in Mitchell and, and Bagley, like I know that Mitchell is more ready, but just expecting any, any rookie beyond maybe the top two or three to be positive impact um, in any sort of notable role is tough. And Bagley, obviously, you know, uh, has a long way to go to really kind of figure himself out as an NBA player. Some of that's, you know, he just hasn't played a ton because of injuries, unfortunately, but um, there are some limitations there with just, you know, who is he offensively and, you know, was, you know, does he process the game quickly enough on both ends of the floor? Um, I think you'd have to get to at least three picks. Honestly, I don't know if Sacramento wants to do that because Ben Simmons is as good as he is. He doesn't automatically make you a team that, you know, has your core of the future. Um, obviously as Simmons, Halliburton, Fox, trio was pretty interesting like and, and Rashawn Holmes is a good player and um, you keep Harrison Barnes like that's there are a lot worse five men you know lineups out there but it doesn't automatically make you a top six seed or anything right like you still might miss in the playoffs and looking for more talent so um, I just I just really struggle to see any sort of deal manifesting for Sacramento if they're not going to get rid of Halliburton not get, if they're not going to deal Halliburton um, which I understand why they wouldn't. And I think your point about the fan base liking him totally makes sense. Like you don't have to just root for the best outcome on the court. You can root for the guys you want. That's what, that's what's cool about fandom. So um, I just really, really struggle to see any sort of deal getting done if Halliburton isn't involved, because as you mentioned a little earlier, he does make a ton of sense next to Joel as that quick decision maker, as that guy who can space the floor uh, and has a growing on ball game as well. I mean, some of the shots he made last year as a pull-up shooter, um, I couldn't have envisioned him doing that at Iowa State, so it's a testament to his growth. But just really tough for me to see kind of the the, the bridge being ga- or the gap being bridged. Excuse me, uh, if Halliburton is is going to remain a king. So if if we are talking Buddy Bagley Halliburton, how many first rounders do you think need to be thrown in there? I think you could do two with one of them lightly protected. Um, I think that makes makes some more sense. Um, you could also do like, I think you did Halliburton Barnes and like a first and a strongly protected first. Like that would be interesting to me. Um, maybe I'm overrating how good Halliburton is at this stage, but um, I think he's good for rookie, but you know how it always goes, right? It's always trying to figure out in the context of rookies versus general NBA players. Um, but I think like maybe that is too light for Sims as well. I mean, a, a fine, a fine starter and rotation guy in, in Barnes and interesting young player in, in Halliburton. Um, so that would be more interesting to me. Like, I think obviously Barnes and Halliburton are the, to me, the two best players or most intriguing players involved in any of these discussions. Um, and then you can obviously be a lot more lenient with the picks there. Um, but I don't know. I think like, again, like I said, I think the Sixers might be more interested in, in prioritizing those picks at this stage to try and kind of parlay that into another deal that actually nets them a star rather than just role players around Joel. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, I want to throw you a couple of other offers. We'll say with with Buddy Bagley, Halliburton, and two picks in mind. And tell me if these these offers beat that. All right, um, Golden State, Andrew Wiggins, uh, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kuminga, and a twenty twenty two first. Uh, can Can you remind me just one more time what the deal is? I'm comparing to these new ones. Yeah, totally. Uh, Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley, Tyrese Halliburton, and two first rounders. Uh, I would definitely take the Sacramento package if I were very Philly there. Okay. Um, and then Minnesota, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, um, 
Jaden McDaniels in a 2022 first? That one's a little tougher um, because I, I do think McDaniels is also a very interesting prospect um, and it is someone that you could, you know, package into a future star deal as well. But I think I would still lean um, fairly confidently Sacramento there. Um, the two picks and all this, like Halliburton is a superior prospect to Jaden, I think. Um, even if you really like Jaden, it's tough to, you know, really argue for that. Um, despite all the brilliance he showed, especially on defense last year, but I think I would still go Sacramento fairly confidently. The, the idea for me with Minnesota that I think was reported, I don't know if it was reported or aggregated. I apologize if I'm misconstruing this, but it was a lot of picks plus some quality quality players, uh, including Jaden McDaniels. So I think if you get those picks and then you have Jaden and you have a Tyrese Maxey until already, you're looking, you know, assuming those guys both development, maybe the rate that they show, show they could as rookies plus those picks you're looking at a pretty interesting package for a Beal or a Dame, or maybe the Chicago experiment goes south and Levine's asking out. So, um, which I don't think it necessarily seems plausible. I think he's going to be a free agent next year. So I think you at least give it a season, but um, whoever, whoever else is, I'm sure there'll be someone that's available in the market that, you know, the Sixers will be linked to that we don't really expect at this point. So I, I think I would still go Sacramento there. And um, I think that one's interesting to me for sure. Um, because again, like you have Halliburton Maxi plus a couple of picks plus your own picks, um, plus even Matisse, you know, that they still have like you, you're at least getting some negotiation, you're getting to the table, um, with Portland most likely. Um, so and again, I think it's interesting too through the Dame lens at least, which is kind of a tangent. Like he has so many, he's such a powerful player in terms of where his cash in the league, like he'd probably get to pick or at least have some strong saying where he goes. So, um, even if Philly doesn't have the best package um if they you know if that was at least worthwhile to the blazers and you want to go play in philly um they could probably get it done yeah absolutely and the three deals mentioned you know every team has said i don't want to include kaminga i don't want to include halliburton i don't want to include Delo. someone's gonna to have to budget some point probably right um but yeah it's interesting to me that you're pointing out you know the ideal thing from these kind of lower level teams outside of golden state is just a lot of draft capital and it makes sense uh swapping it for another bigger guy rather than just some of these role players. Um, is, is there any other deals or, or teams that stand out to you? Obviously, like, is there, um, it, would you be intrigued with a CJ McCollum return as well? Uh, I mean, I think it's a fine deal. Um, but again, I, I really have pivoted toward trying to land interesting young players and draft capital because like, like you're not going to trade, like you're not going to trade CJ for, for Dame right down the road. Uh, you're not going to trade CJ for Beal. Like I do really think it all has to kind of be a multi-step process to tangibly increase your title odds. And while it maybe you take a step back in the interim, which I get seems counterproductive as Joel in his prime. Um, if it allows you to maybe take a step forward down the road in, in, in a half a year, or eight months, um, I think it makes sense. So that one doesn't really interest me. Like, Maybe Indiana, like if Indiana's making available Brogdon and Warren, I think there's a case that those guys definitely kind of raise the bar for where you can be. Um, because it's not like, I mean, I know last year was a strange season, um, but every playoff has some weird circumstances. Not the Sixers are, like, I think they're clearly outside of that title contention tier right now, but it's not like they're so far outside of it that, like, if things break right, that, like, those, those, those like, improvements, not on the margin so much, but, like, those improvements that aren't huge kind of allow you to take advantage. So, that one's interesting. I think San Antonio can maybe put something together that's that's worthwhile. Um, Derek White's a guy I've liked for a while. Um, I think he makes some sense. I mean, health's been an issue for him in recent years, unfortunately, but um, I think it's kind of a complimentary ball handler who can get to that mid-range pull-up and is a very good defender in his own right, good decision-maker. Um, maybe DeJounte's involved too, um, but DeJounte's reaching that point where he's kind of old enough that he's still interesting as a development guy, but like not so much that like you're banking on years and years and years more of development. Um, Maybe they add some picks too. With Indiana, if you're looking for the win now angle, I think makes the most sense among teams that have all been strongly linked to to Simmons as you know as a trade destination or trade partner. Absolutely. Um, and just final thing, I think we already did find a deal that we both would agree on, but it's already slipped my mind. Um, so just final thing before we close out here, let's try to come in an agreement on a deal with, it, or I guess it, did we decide we can't come to an agreement on a deal without. Tyrese, unless it's a and Fox, obviously, unless yeah, it's I think three, I, I think without Hall, yeah, I think without Halliburton, unless it's a bunch of picks, um, it's really tough for me to see anything happening. And I, I understand why Sacramento would be apprehensive to part with Halliburton 
and well, part with a bunch of picks, even if Halliburton's still there, because it's just not a guarantee that they're no, they're, it doesn't make them a, you know a top eight team, right? It doesn't make it someone that's you know drafting it to the lottery every year. So I just do make does really seem tough for a deal to reach. And that was kind of wasn't that kind of the the uh, the angle that that Amic was reporting with yesterday that like there's there's been talks, but given kind of who was available for both sides and how it could unfold, it seems really unlikely that that Ben Simmons is there for a Sacramento King. Yeah, and he said they haven't talked in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, that seems to be the case. And I know there's a lot of concern that, you know, if if Buddy and Tyrese are both included included in a deal and all of a sudden you have Fox and um Fox and Simmons on the roster, you obviously need some shooting around that and you're getting rid of two of your best shooters on the roster. Um so you got Rashawn uh, there already too. So yeah, right. I, I get that I get that for sure. Um yeah, so, so I, I feel like we we kind of played out the uh <laughs> the entirety of the Amic piece. Um with some different different angles, but that I think it makes clear why it's such a tough Tough uh, trade to make happen if, if this is how the parameters are uh, constructed. Absolutely. Um, if Summons gets traded to Sacramento, even if it includes Tyrese, and I know I already know I'm going to get a lot of shit for this, I will absolutely talk myself into it. Um, as, <laughs> as we said towards the beginning, like it's such a big talent upgrade. And I, I love Tyrese. And like you said, I um, really was high on him out of the draft, but um, it, it's kind of lazy, but you see the low ceiling thing thrown on him a lot, right? And a lot of that, there wasn't a lot of self-creation, especially off the dribble, but he blew my mind. I, I think of a Brooklyn game last year specifically and, mm-hmm. and a couple other moments where it's like, where is this off the dribble space creation and shooting coming from where yeah. it, it's made me question what is the ceiling of Tyrese? And it's something I'm really going to be watching for a lot this upcoming season. Um, but Simmons does feel like a notable talent upgrade. And for a team that was... I mean, and I'm a guy that loves defense was just absolutely horrific to watch on that end. I can't help but be um, really intrigued at the idea of adding one of the best perimeter defenders in the league and a team that also, by the way, has like very little wings on their roster. It's kind of all guards and centers. So I do think like as the player that Simmons is, he's something that Sacramento, he checks a lot of the boxes Sacramento needs, rebounding, defense, and the size that he brings. So it's definitely intriguing. I would talk myself into it, but it's going to be complicated um, discussions for sure. And definitely something that we're probably going to be hearing for the rest of the off season. And if anybody wants to keep up with anything going on with Philadelphia and Simmons, Jackson Frank's definitely a guy to follow here. And I can't say thanks enough for coming on Jackson. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoyed talking through this. Um, but yeah, I just, however, I mean, just the one thing I want to put like, it wasn't just from Iowa state to last year it was year one Iowa state where he was just an off ball spot up shooter to year two, where he was running the offense with an efficient, you know, slash line. So, uh, yeah, I, I totally get being hesitant to move in. The growth rate is incredible, but yeah, appreciate having me on. Excited to, uh, kind of see how this entire saga, uh, saga feels, uh, too dramatic, but this situation unfolds and, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's resolved for everyone involved, uh, sooner rather than later. So, uh, appreciate having me on though. Absolutely. Fun to keep tabs on. And that's uh, Jackson Frank at Jacks Frank underscore JJF on Twitter. And of course, all the work that's going on at the Kings Herald. I'll have something up here soon. Uh, we got the 30 questions series started. So check out the website and take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings garbage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Bowl podcast, please subscribe, rate and review. Hear from us again in the next couple of days.